Okay, uh, hello and welcome to the, the second episode in this uh, look back at Irish international football in the 2010s. Uh, with me again is Mark Kennedy from Hawkeye Psychic, and we're joined uh, for this episode by Philip Flanagan of the Bottomless Pit of Football. Uh, so, uh, last the last episode dealt with uh, Giovanni Trapattoni's reign up until the end of the World Cup qualifiers for 2014. And then, uh, as the qualifiers petered out and we finished with uh, Noel King in charge, uh, Martin O'Neill was appointed as the national football team manager on the 5th of November. Like, he didn't have too long to prepare for his first game, which is a friendly against Latvia uh, in Dublin on the 15th of November that year. Um, Mark, if I could start with you, you know, the process for appointing Trapattoni went on for several months. Um, Don Gibbons was in charge of a couple of games, uh, whereas O'Neill was appointed in a relatively short space of time. I know Noel King was in temporary charge for the two qualifiers in October against Germany and Kazakhstan. But Martin O'Neill, when he took over, um, do you think he was the right appointment? <clears throat> I suppose Grumman's well of opinion um, kind of suggested as much, uh, Joe and Philip, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, if I recall, um, there was a big groundswell um, for Martin and then obviously Roy Keane as some sort of assistant to be uh, almost kind of a protege uh, of sorts. So, like, I mean, for Martin O'Neill, his resume kind of spoke for itself. Good club manager, you know, it would Forrest also the Aston Villa stint in Leicester particularly. You know, got an awful lot out of, you know, teams that may not have had super, star, super superstars. And again, very tough to beat. So I suppose from my opinion, when the appointment, it couldn't have been any worse than Trapattoni at the end of his reign. So hoping for the, the bounce uh, of results to kind of get the team in the right direction. So for me, um, O'Neill seemed to be the solid choice to kind of uh, steady the ship. Yeah, I think he. One of the things that was in his favor as well was that he was available. Uh, that other managers that the FAL might have considered pro- would have come with uh, a release clause or compensation to have been paid, whereas Martin O'Neill was was free. Um, you know, given the recent revelations or revelations about the FAI's, fi- FAI's finances, um, you know that uh, that might have uh, swayed things in his favor. And of course, uh, I think it was it Dennis O'Brien stepped in and offered to to continue covering the wages uh, like he had done with uh, with Trapattoni. So, uh, Philip, like uh, same question, I guess, uh, was Martin O'Neill the right choice at the time? I think he was. I think I remember, like any time an Ireland manager was going to be appointed, even the time when the panel was put together for Trapattoni, I think the options were so bad, and O'Neill was probably the best. He, I wouldn't say he was a bad option, but he was the best option at the time. Like you were getting the usual suspects, Alan Kerbishley and the likes, and I think putting Keane with him was a clever move from Delaney as well because it kind of Ireland fans are usually split when it comes to Roy Keane, and that was kind of like a it was like a Hollywood pairing nearly, and I suppose it kind of. It looked to the future as well. So if O'Neill did okay for a couple of seasons or a couple of qualifying campaigns, sorry, people were starting to talk straight away. Well, Keane can take over. You know, he'll have been in the back position. It's a great chance for him. So I think at the time it was, like, 
instead ended up with someone like Alan Kerbishley, Ian Dowie, whoever the usual suspects were always linked. Yeah. So I, I remember at the time, I think everyone was fairly excited about it. Uh, yeah, uh, I think so too. And I think a lot of that was nearly to do with the end of Trapatoni's reign than anything else. I think like one of the criticisms that had been leveled against him was that he didn't understand the Irish mentality. Um, you know, he didn't speak English, or at least it wasn't, you know, it wasn't his first language, although to me that was grasping at straws. It was another, another stick to beat him with rather than a, like a, an outright disadvantage or an outright uh, problem. Um, so things began relatively well. We had a, a 3-0 win over Latvia in a friendly, um, and then which is quickly followed by uh, another friendly against Poland, which finished nil-nil in Poznan. Uh, but we had to wait nearly a year for our next win, which uh, was another friendly uh, in September uh, against Oman. Uh, this was ahead of the qualifiers for uh, Euro 2016, the first which which was the the two one win away to to Georgia. Now we had hoped to see uh, new players given their chance by a new manager, but. The only two debuts have been handed out that up till uh, up to that point was uh, Rob Elliott in goals and Shane Duffy uh, who made his debut in a friendly against Costa Rica. Uh, the qualifiers opened with uh, the two-one win in Georgia. You know, at that up until that point, we were still beating Georgia in every game, but that was probably as close as they'd come to getting a result against us. You know, we had Aidan McGeady's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, winner very very late in that game um, you know we had we had there was three fairly substantial losses you know we lost to Serbia we lost to Turkey we lost to Portugal we drew with Poland we drew with Italy we drew with Costa Rica you know okay we, we beat Oman but you know we always beat Oman uh, so the first year I would say it was fairly underwhelming you know, that, that win against Georgia was followed up by, you know, trounced Gibraltar, but, you know, Gibraltar were having their their, their maiden bow in a qualifying uh, campaign. Um, and, you know, we won 7-0, but I, I, I go back to my my comments from the, the previous episode about games like Andorra or San Marino or the Fair Islands. These are games you can't actually win. You show up and you win 4-0, people say, well, of course you would. Of course you're going to beat them 4-0. You know, they're the minnows. You know, if you draw or lose, when people say you're terrible, you know, how could you not beat the Minnows? Um, but then I think we had one of the first, probably the first significant results um, of O'Neill's campaign, uh, or reign, which is the the one-all win, or one-all draw, maybe a... Well, it's like a win, In Germany, John O'Shea scored a very, very late equaliser. I think those late goals would go on to be... Uh, Hallmark of, uh, of of teams under O'Neill, um, you know, it was obviously a very emotional uh, emotional game for for O'Shea. I mean, he got the, the late equaliser in his hundredth cap when he he captained his country. Um, so we had uh, we had two wins and a, a fairly credible draw in our opening three games in the campaign. But then we went to uh, Glasgow to face Scotland in Celtic Park and lost and it wasn't a very good performance and the goal we gave away from a corner and it uh, 
Scotland were the team that we expected, or well, one of the teams that we expected to be battling with for either finishing second or third in that group. So it was seen as you know not just a loss, but a loss to a, a, a group rival. And after that game, people started you know asking, are we going to qualify for for the Euros in France? Um, Mark, what do you like, at that point? Uh, what did you think of O'Neill? What did you think of the the change the the changes that he had brought in, and you know what were our prospects for qualifying? Yeah, I mean <clears throat> you, you kind of go back to the friendly, Sarah. I mean I didn't really pay much attention to that US tour personally. I thought it was ca- classic end of season uh, friendlies, really. I mean that Costa Rica game, I remember I kind of nodded off halfway through. To be honest, it, the the favourites all poor, but aside from that. The introduction of the Shane Duffy uh, to to the squad, I thought you have to applaud Martin O'Neill for you know identified fresh blood there in the centre half position. And in fairness to Duffy, he really acquitted himself very well. The Scotland game, I do recall that game to be an absolute dour contest. I think both teams were as equally as bad as the other, and it was just one goal, one set piece, you know, one mishap defensively cost us the game. Again, it was still in the melting pot. I think um, from my perspective. The hope was that, you know, we had a credible draw against Germany in Gelsenkirchen, that John O'Shea equaliser. Scotland still had to go to Germany and get a result, so I'm always a glass a glass half uh, full guy anyway, so I was kind of uh, still hopeful, but there was kind of a little bit of concern in the back of my head that performances need to improve, particularly kind of final third. I think as well, you know, the the... The team hadn't, re- or the personnel hadn't really changed from you know a, a Trapattoni, who, Trapattoni's era, which had ended more than a year earlier. Um, but if you look at those two, those three games, maybe that came uh, one after the other in October and November, we had that draw with Germany, we had the the loss to Scotland, and then we had a a pretty good four-one win against the USA in a, in a friendly. I mean, I remember uh, Robbie Brady scored a pretty good free kick. Um, We saw debuts for Cyrus Christie and for David McGoldrick after he had gone through a fairly long process of, you know, confirming his eligibility for the Republic of Ireland. Um, So we were, you know, we were twelve, you know, we were a year into O'Neill's reign, um, but the, the, I think the, the fans wanted. Uh, a quick turnaround in maybe not in uh, players but in the in the tactics. Do you think we were seeing that? I think we were. I think if I remember, we were kind of favourites going into that Scotland game, and I remember the, the feeling when we lost it. I was over in London at the time, and I think genuinely the feeling was 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 that was kind of it for us qualifying because it was it was nearly because it was nearly a straight shootout, and if, if Georgia didn't do us that favour beating Scotland, we were kind of done. Really, but the football we had gone into the Scotland game expecting a result, and it was just so disappointing. As you said, the goal—I think it was a quick corner. I can't remember who it was. He went off to play in the States. It was just the only time in the game we fell asleep. And I remember we played for the draw. It was just a really physical game. I think there was loads of yellow cards, a few heavy challenges. But the fact that we had kind of thought we were going to do them in Scotland, like it wasn't a case where we were going over as underdogs. So I think, yeah, you could say that we were, um, th- the football had come on a bit from Trapattoni. Not much, but we at least we were trying to play football. Yeah, I think that was, 
that was the the main thing. You know, uh, I think the fans kind of accepted that maybe the players that he was picking were the best players that were available. You know, in terms of the starting eleven, you know, the when in the in terms of the squad, I think everyone was picking the same maybe. 15 or 17 players and it was only the last kind of five you know the kind of 17 to 23 that people disagreed on of course Martin O'Neill often picks squads of uh, up to 30 um, I think something that wasn't publicised a lot but maybe should have been was that uh, it was you know it was to show respect to the, the relevant clubs in case they had to cancel fixtures or in case they had to release players at short notice uh, was the was eventually given as the reason for that. Um, so yeah, the the Scotland's loss, I think, really was uh, felt like a step back um, after, especially coming so soon after the the draw in Germany. Well, I I don't remember us being particularly outplayed in uh, in Gelsenkirchen. Um and I don't yeah the. But the Scotland game, albeit played in, in terrible conditions, is uh, it it did feel like you know this is a an opportunity lost. So facing into 2015, then you know we had a, a draw at home against Poland, who we felt were another one of our group uh, group rivals for that for those qualification spots. Uh, a draw against England um, in the first. Our first game against our first home game against England since the the riot uh, in Lansdowne Road, which was uh, was uh, which I was at, and it was kind of a nothing game. It's a real end of season. We don't want to be here. Let's just finish. Let's just get through ninety minutes without anyone getting injured or sent off, and you know nobody loses face. And then came I think which was uh, probably the worst result of certainly the early part of O'Neill's reign. Which was the one-all draw with Scotland. Now, as I said, Scot- so Scotland were one of our, our, our probably our group main group rival uh, for that qualifier, uh, for that second or third qualifying position. You know, we went one up from Johnson Walters' goal, which had a, a real touch of offside about it. Um, I think the you know and Scotland equalised with an own goal early in the second half. So, <coughs> The feeling I think from the fans after the game was that that was it. We're we're done. We're not going to finish second or third. You know we had Poland had taken points off us at that point. Scotland had taken four points off us, and we weren't going to get another chance to to take points off Scotland. So all we could really do was finish uh, fourth in you know in a in a sixteen group. You know with the the minnows of Georgia and Gibraltar behind us. Um, at that point, Mark, did you think that qualification was gone? Oh yeah, very much so. <clears throat> I, there were, uh, I think I was at that game, um, the Ireland Scotland game in the and as soon as John O'Shea's uh, own goal, you know, and in fairness to Ireland, they did create chances thereafter, but it did have a bit of a kind of, yeah, there was a bit of a flat field to the ground straight after final whistle, because the realization being that Scotland, if they got a result in Georgia. That uh, we were pretty much up against it, really, because going to Poznan as well uh, in Poland the last game, it was very much a tall order, and also you know, it, and also Germany at home, 
Um, the fixture list didn't look good for us. So, yeah, it was kind of, yeah, my optimism after, um, you know, the group of games preceding it, I uh, was definitely a little bit more deflated, that, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember just meeting the 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 Scotland's, uh, Scotland fans uh, after the game, and they were convinced that they were as good as qualified. Um, and to be honest, they were good. They were well worth, you know, that uh, that optimism. Um, they has beaten, you know, beaten, and uh, they taken four points from two games off of us, whereas we'd only taken one. Um, but you know, I remember interviews with Martin O'Neill after the game saying, you know, we're not out. We still have a chance. Anything can happen, you know, and it's it's football. So. You know, it then it came down to the qualifiers uh, in September. Uh, we faced Gibraltar, and Scotland were playing Georgia, and you know, and Georgia got the results. You know, they got a a one nil win, um, a goal in the in the first half. I I was at Electric Picnic, and uh, I remember you know walking around. I was listening to the to the Ireland Gibraltar game uh, on a, a little portable, just a little radio, um, and that's all anyone was talking about was the result from Scotland or the result from from Georgia against Scotland. And suddenly, you know, we did have an opportunity. Uh, it meant that we would have to better Scotland's results against Georgia. But again, we always beat Georgia. So three days later. In Aviva Stadium, we did beat Georgia. Jonathan Walters uh, scored again. So suddenly, it was coming down to the last side of games. We were facing, <coughs> excuse me, we were facing the two top seeds in the group, uh, Germany and Poland. Uh, Scotland had uh, probably a slightly easier uh, final set of fixtures, uh, home to Poland and away to Gibraltar. So they were they were uh, guaranteed. Three points against uh, the minnows from the uh, from Gibraltar, but we beat Germany in possibly like the in what was one of the defining fixtures of Martin O'Neill's reign. Um, I was at the game. Uh, I remember the long ball coming out from uh, from Randolph. I remember seeing kind of you know Shane Long hearing after it. Who, He'd come on as a substitute, so he was still relatively fresh. I think Jonathan Walter's role in this actually is a, goes a little bit understated um, because he dragged two the or he dragged the, his marker out of uh, central defence, which gave Long like a little bit of extra space. And I remember thinking, this is the kind of goal that Shane Long, or kind of chance that Shane Long gets, but never scores because he takes too long to think about it. He takes a touch too many, and he didn't. And it was probably the only time I've ever seen him shoot on pure instinct from that, uh, from that kind of chance. And he scored, and we beat, you know, one of the best teams in Europe at that time. Um, and we were we were good value for the win as well. I don't remember Germany. They created a lot of chances. They had an off day. I will give them that. They did have an off day. And we and had the, the lion's share of possession, 
But we were not, you know, we were good value for that win. Yeah, I think Joe. Yeah, I think Joe. Memory serves me right. Didn't wasn't Che given starting that game, and he had to come off injured. Yeah, um, and yeah, that, that's I just remember Germany had a good good opening period. They did have one or two chances, particularly when Shea Givens was struggling with the injury. But uh, second half, uh, you know, really good solid performance. And I say yourself, Shane Long, crisp crisp finish. Really, I mean, uh, instinctive finish against Neuer. At that time, I thought it was one of the, was the world's best goalkeeper. It was a fantastic finishing. God, the celebrations! I would say it must have been unbelievable, John, when that goal went in. Yeah, yeah and, uh, we weren't hanging on at the end of that either. They weren't battering down the hatches for the last ten minutes. No, and uh, I think the one of the iconic images from that game is Jonathan Walters taking the ball to the corner flag and holding off two German players. Um, Look, he, let's call it what it was. It was time wasting, but it was, you know, it was phenomenal to watch, and the the atmosphere in the stadium that night was something else. Now, on the same night, uh, Scotland were playing po- uh, Poland in Hamden. They had gone one 0 down, but came back to lead two one for a, a very very late equaliser from Lewandowski meant that they drew two all, which I think before the game they would have taken. Um, and I could only imagine how they felt walking off the pitch, asking what the the scoreline was in Dublin, and then asking again, no, seriously, what's the scoreline in Dublin? Um, so like that result is probably is 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 what got us to the playoffs. Um, the final game then uh, away to Poland was a bit of a free hit. Um, we knew we were guaranteed a playoff no matter what. I think a, a two-all draw was what we needed to get uh, to get into second, and we nearly got it. A very, very late chance. Uh, Aidan McGeady crossed, and I remember Richard Kyo heading just wide, which would have given us that two two-all draw, but uh, unfortunately it didn't. And I mean, we went on to play uh, Bosnia in the playoffs with Poland and Germany qualifying automatically. So, uh, Phil, like that. Uh, how did you think we performed across the, the qualifiers as a whole uh, we can, before we move on to the playoffs? Well, I think like it's the same with any qualifying group. When you go into it, you're looking at who's the closest team to you, and basically you need to take points off them. So for us, it was really Scotland because Poland at the time where well, they had Lewandowski and they had a few few decent players. So it was disappointing that we didn't take, we only took the one point off Scotland and that was at home. But what made up for it was four points off Germany. And I think that's what gave everyone the belief going into the playoffs. Because you have to be beating the teams around you or trying to beat the teams, the, the first seeds in the group. And like four points from Germany and four well-earned points. It wasn't like we fluked a result. I know the the injury, the the goal John O'Shea scored was a late goal, but we were decent value for it. Germany didn't blow us away. And in the Aviva, we were nearly the better team for 80 minutes. wasn't the best game, but as you said, Shane Long, nine times out of ten, Shane Long takes a touch, looks up, and goes and hits it straight down Neuer's throat. But he just buried it. So there was belief there going into the playoffs from the, those four points. Uh, so, uh, looking into the playoffs, uh, we went on to to face uh, Bosnia, who, you know, I think had had fallen back uh, a little bit 
uh, from their the, the heights. I think they still had a very dangerous player up front in uh, Eden Dzeko. Um Just looking at the the other uh, the other seeded teams in the in the playoffs, it was Bosnia, Ukraine, Sweden, and Hungary. And I think Ukraine were probably the team I wanted to avoid. You know, Sweden we had a history against. They could beat us. We could beat them. And Hungary very much the same. But I I felt we had a chance. A real chance against Bosnia. Now, the the first game in uh, in Bosnia was probably most remembered for the fog, uh, which meant that nobody really knew what was happening. Um, and more than one person who watched the game with me questioned how the game even went ahead in the first place. Uh, I think the the FIFA ruling is that if you can't see the sideline on the opposite side of the pitch then the game has to be called off because that means that uh, a linesman can't call uh, can't call offside can't call if a ball has gone out of play for a throw um, and obviously you know he could he can miss uh, miss any you know game changing events but uh, everybody I think missed Robbie Brady's goal um, suddenly everyone turned around and realised oh the players are celebrating why are they celebrating? Oh, we scored. Oh, good. We scored. Um, and, of course, we did what we always do. We conceded almost straight away to the to the danger man, to, to Jekyll. So we finished uh, with a, a one-all, a credible one, one-all draw away from home uh, and took, you know, took that back to, to, to Dublin. Um, just like to ask both of you, like, what was your, like, did you think that we could... Uh, we had a, a victory within our grasp uh, after that game, or was it so hard to tell what actually happened that you know the 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 final the the return game against Bosnia effectively became a one-off final? Uh, Mark, we start with you. Yeah, Joe, I, I felt relatively confident. Uh, I think leading into that game, we did have a few injuries and suspensions to contend with as well, so. Even the emergence of Robbie Brady uh, from the starting lineup, I think, came from the suspensions and injury situation that we had. And I mean, that was a very credible draw in Bosnia. Very tough place to go to get a result at the best uh, at the best of times. So, kind of going into that second leg at the Aviva Stadium, I, I was relatively confident. Anyway, I don't know about you, Phil, but um, again, you know, we we knew we were well capable of producing a performance on the night. I mean, you just have to look at the Germany performances to kind of see that. So, and with a uh, you know, great crowd in the Aviva, anything was possible. Yeah, just looking back at, at Bosnia's qualifiers, you know, they had they were unbeaten at home apart from a bizarre game where they lost to to Cyprus. Uh but away from home uh they only had two wins against Cyprus and Andorra. So, you know, the 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 form would suggest that uh Ireland would win. Um now we scored early in the first half, John DeWalter scored a penalty. Um one of my memories of that is uh, a video that was released of uh, Jason McIntyre watching the game, um, but he's actually crouched down behind the, the the fans that are standing in front of him because he can't actually watch the penalty. And you can see Walters in the distance uh, lining up for it and, and scoring, and then McIntyre reacts to the crowd reaction. He's like, he realises that we scored, and then he starts celebrating, and it's just, it's uh, it's it's not it's not very widely known but i think it's just uh it's uh 
just a, a, a lovely reaction from a, from, a, from a real fan. So, obviously, we went down to beat Bosnia and had qualified. You know, O'Neill uh, became the first manager to qualify for a tournament at the, the first attempt since Jack Charlton. You know, I qualified for, for Euro 88. And obviously, the, the plans began for, uh, for Euro, excuse me, for Euro 2016 in France. Um, you know, given the, the results across the qualifiers, given we'd beaten Bosnia and in the, in the playoffs, um, I think spirits were high ahead of the draw. Um, the, the, the group stages, we drew Sweden, Belgium and Italy, which, Everyone kind of felt was immediately uh, a much, or uh, a much less harsh draw than we had in t- in 2012 with, you know, Spain, Croatia, and Italy. And you know, the feeling was that you know we could get out of the group. Um, so yeah, uh, Phil, how did you feel after the draw? Yeah, well, we didn't go in with the same delusions as we did in 2012. Yeah. Where um, the talk was, we'll draw Croatia, beat Italy, and Scotland, the Spain game. Don't worry about it; we'll go through. But I think because of the big results we got in the group, and actually winning a playoff so comfortably in the end, I thought it was a good draw for us. Yeah. Um, like we just going back to the Bosnia game quickly. I remember when we were drawn with Bosnia. I was I was worried, genuinely worried, because. They had a couple of good players in Dzeko and Pjanic, and Pjanic had the the ability to like run a game, and that's something we've always struggled with in midfield. But I, I, I never, he just didn't turn up in either game. He was so disappointing, and we we blew them away in the Aviva. So I think that coupled with the Germany results, I think the spirits were high after the draw for the Euros. Especially, look, and maybe not Belgium. Belgium were up and coming, the golden generation. But certainly thought we could get a result against Sweden and Italy if we needed. So probably thinking about the other way, possibly beating Sweden and needing a draw with Italy. But spirits were definitely high because as bad as we were at the start and we kind of messed up against Scotland, O'Neill kind of showed us that he can get big results when we needed to. So that was a plus. Yeah, I think something that might not have been mentioned are... Maybe maybe it was at the time was that you know we historically we didn't beat teams ranked ahead of us in competitive games and suddenly we were after getting two in the space of two months you know we'd beaten Germany and beaten Bosnia uh, both you know uh, higher ranked teams uh, so I think that gave us a, a boost going into the into the the tournament you know it was something we hadn't done under under Trapattoni and I think the the last time that we had beaten. Uh, a higher-ranked side was was under Staunton when we beat Slovakia at home. Um, so, Mark, you know uh, the the tournament be uh, you know the tournaments in France kicked off. You know we had a we had a probably the you know I don't want to say the easiest game first, but it's definitely a game that we felt we could get a result from um, against Sweden. You know they they were felt that they were an aging side. They had Zlatan, who was obviously a, a superstar. But uh, you know, we went after going one nil up. We felt that you know we can get a we can definitely get a result here. You know, I felt we were good value for the for the for the lead, but unfortunately we fell behind to to an own goal. Um, I think the the feeling when the stadium at the time was that um, okay, you know, we we've, we've have we fallen back to the the class of 2012? You know, are we going to go on and lose? But you know, it finished one all. Um, 
and then we, we were, you know, Belgium were we were facing Belgium in the next game. But uh, I think there was there was promise in that first game against Sweden. Uh, yeah. yeah, we, yeah. So, um, what did you think uh, after that after that game? No, I thought it was a very encouraging performance against Sweden. We were play, we played them front foot, uh, which for Martin O'Neill style of play. Um, but you know, considering the qualification, we were very much soaking, um, you know, pressure on ourselves. But it was so refreshing to see kind of like sort of Seamus Coleman's, the Wes Hoolands really get on the ball and express themselves. And we we carved out some some great chances. You know, you could argue for a fact that we should have been maybe more than one goal up at halftime. Uh, we were really playing Sweden off the park. It was unfortunate with Kieran Clark with the OG. Um, in the second half, uh, but again, it, it was a very promising performance. I think we did have a chance at the end, maybe to kind of nick it as well. But again, that that opening game we would have seen in the Croatia game, don't lose it. And the fact that it was a one-all draw, at least we had a point on the board, and we could kind of focus on uh, the Belgians really. So I was I was very encouraged by that performance. I I think uh, you know part of that as well was that you know after losing the three games in Poland in in 2012. At least we had a point on the board um, and a goal to celebrate. Um, I know, and, uh, I think a, a well-worked goal as well. You know, uh, Seamus Coleman crossing for Wesula and um, to score a to score a fine volley um, for the lead. Now, Phil, if we can talk about the Belgium game, you know, it was I I I, I did get a ticket for that. It was a uh, uh, the stadium, it was one of those stadiums where you feel like you're right on top of the pitch, no matter where you are. Um, and I know Belgium won 3-0, but it felt like we were still robbed of something. Like, I remember Shane Long was, you know, assaulted, basically, in the penalty area. And then uh, everyone in the whole stadium was calling for a penalty, including probably Belgian fans. And then Belgium go down the other end and score. Um, after that, you know, after uh, a 3-0 loss to, you know, admittedly uh, a, a good team, and as you say, you know, a team on the on the rise. Um, what did you think of? What did you think ahead of the Italy game? Yeah, so because the performance was decent against Sweden, like, we weren't going in with the same confidence as we had in the Euros in 2012 into the Belgium game so I thought like we kind of didn't think we'd get a result against them and it wasn't the end of the world like the heads didn't drop especially from fans anyway I know I wasn't at the Belgium game I was at the the Sweden game but the heads didn't drop after the Belgium game we we genuinely believe we could go into the Italy game and get a result so it it wasn't the end of the world I remember Lukaku had a great game he he just monstered us all together but we, we showed enough in the Sweden game to give us the confidence to go into the last game. And, and just quickly, going back to the goal there, I actually, because I was at the game, I couldn't even remember the goal after it, but I had a look at it yesterday, and a cross came in from the left originally, and if you actually, the ball pops out to James McCarthy, and instead of hammering a shot, he just plays a little simple ball out to Coleman. Coleman does his player, does his defender, and there's five Irish players in the box. Like, so, there was plenty of attack and attempt. We, we we didn't kind of choke or freeze like we did in in the previous competition. So going into the Italy game, I was still confident we could get a result, especially that they were going to rest a couple of players at least. 
yeah, like uh, Italy, I think, had already qualified uh, from their first yeah. two results. They'd beaten Belgium and beaten Sweden. So, you know, going into that last game against Italy in uh, in Lille, uh, yeah, um, the the opinion was that the manager was going to rest some of his first team. That you know it would that it would give uh, the Irish team uh, a, a chance of qualifying. We still needed Belgium to do us a favour against Sweden, but you know it was felt that we could give a, get a result against Italy. I think that's one of the 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 narratives that's been kind of brought back or introduced for that game. Maybe is that Italy played a weak inside now. For me, I think that does the Italian, the 11 that, that lined out for Italy, an extreme disservice. All right. And like, I'm not going to argue that it was their strongest start in 11. As I say, they knew they had qualified. They knew they were going to top the group. So, you know, the manager has, has you know, every right to, to rest players uh, in case of injury or suspension. But they still lined out, you know, with several, you know, Serie A titles. Um, between them, we're talking. You know, there was players who are used to playing in the 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 later rounds of Champions League. You know, you know the Europa League. And I think something that gets forgotten sometimes, or isn't part of that that same story, are the changes that Martin O'Neill made. You know, he dropped Kieran Clark, who had started the two games. He dropped John O'Shea, who was his captain at the time. He dropped Glenn Whelan, who I uh, I think had the the, the highest number of caps in the squad, uh, oh, sorry, well, the highest number of out, out no, um, of outfield players, uh, Shea Given and Robbie Keane obviously had a had a higher had higher numbers, um, and you know we we went for that game, we went for Italy, you know, uh, uh, James McLean was denied uh, an absolute stonewall penalty. And from where I was sitting, way up in the the back of the stadium, I could see that it was a penalty. Um, but it was nearly at half time. It was the roof was closed, and it was hot, and it was humid, and it was it was hard to to it was hard to breathe really. I mean, it was hard for me to walk around. Uh, never mind playing in football. Um, so, Mark, like. Do you remember what you were thinking at halftime? Yeah, I was actually in a Gettigans in their square Galway watching the game after hard day's work uh, with a few work colleagues. So halftime, we were competitive. I mean, we were very much on the front foot. Uh, you, you have to kind of applaud the bravery of Martin O'Neill as well for those changes that he had made. I mean, not easy dropping the likes of John O'Shea and Dan Whelan, you know, such experienced stalwarts for the side, but... Again, there wasn't much in it. Italy, the team that were lined out, they were very competitive. They kind of played for the jersey. They were very well organised. They weren't giving anything to Ireland. So at halftime, you know, I was I was positive enough regarding the performance, but I was wondering where that killer chance may come from uh, eventually. Um, but again, you know, it was 45 minutes left to kind of get qualification and hoping something might happen. Yeah, I think the... The the comment or the, the the talk amongst the fans was that look everyone gets a chance every team gets a chance to score in a football match you know I've seen Andorra score you know an absolute you know world class finish every team gets a chance in, in a in a game but would Ireland get that chance so Phil you know 
when when Wes Ulan came on, there was a t- uh, you know the feeling was that maybe he'd create something, and then he missed what was probably the which was the chance of the game at that point. And you know I had uh, I was behind the goal, and when the ball came to him, everyone kind of went, oh, "Is he offside?" And he's like, "He's not offside. He's got all the time in the world. He's still got all the time in the world." He has no time! And he, you know, if it was pressure, if it was indecision, but we felt at that time that the chance was gone. It was the, and it was the chance. Um, so going into the last few minutes, did you think that we could get a result? Yeah, as you said, that was the chance. I think I watched that game at home. I was never as nervous. Um, I think it was Ronnie Whelan on commentary. He actually said that was the chance. Um, there, you'd kind of thought at that stage you might get another sniff but uh, the the over the overarching memory I have of that game was I remember everybody saying leading up to it oh, Italy don't really care I've never seen Antonio Conte go as crazy on the sideline for a game of football very true like, the 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 on RT the, the, the Euro pictures they kept panning to Conte he was losing it even at nil-nil he was balling his players out of it the whole game like they really wanted to win that game and when we scored for the last couple of minutes there was serious needle in it like it wasn't a case of a team not showing up but um, when that chance I, I generally thought with that chance that was it yeah. but then just this this ball out of nowhere you know this unbelievable couldn't have been any more pinpoint perfect. Brady couldn't have timed his run any better. Just in between the centre back and Desiglio, just it was just unbelievable. It was the perfect goal for the the perfect occasion. I I didn't, I didn't actually see it. Well, I didn't see anything until uh, I think I remember like the sound of a ball being kicked, and then looking up and seeing the ball come across. Because I think we were kind of still. Head in our hands, Hulahan missed the opportunity. That's our chance gone. But I, I remember the, hearing the sound of a ball being kicked, and looking up and seeing the ball coming across, and thinking, "That's too close to the center half." And then thinking, and then I remember the keeper did come out, come off his line, thinking, "Oh, the keeper's going to catch it." And then suddenly the ball is in the back of the net, and it's a goal. And I didn't even know who had scored. Um, and then carnage in the in the stands. Absolute, unadulterated carnage, and uh, Mark, I'd imagine it was the same in Galway. Oh, pretty much, yeah. Um, in the bar, it was just it was such a gorgeous delivery off Hulahan. Though, I mean, talk about some dress of envelope on it. It was just incredible. It was a great run, as Phil has said about um, Robbie Brady as well, because it, it seemed to be a stiflingly hot night there in Lille as well. Uh, Joe, as you said, the effort just to get up and uh, to support one last attack and. It was a lovely header as well because uh, the Italian keeper had spread himself very well there as well coming out. So, I mean, cute pandemonium inside in the bar and go where I was anyway. And then there was kind of realisation, geez, we've five minutes left to hold on here, you know. So it got very nervy then. Yeah. I do remember looking up and seeing that um, on the big screen that Robbie Keane was about to come on. But that substitution ended up being cancelled and Stephen Quinn was bought on instead to, to shore up midfield. And we did hold on. We did get the win. It was one of those games, you know, one of those games I think will be talked about in Irish football for a very long time, like Italy in uh, in New York, like England in uh, in Stuttgart, like the you know the Netherlands in uh, 2001. Um, 
something that I, I didn't see at the time, but I, I've seen photos of since was uh, Buffon hugging the hugging Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane at the end of the game, which I thought was very strange. And but when when I was doing the the research um, for the for Trapattoni's reign, I do remember him, um, you know, calling his players back uh, when Ireland played Italy in Poland and making them applaud to the crowd. And I was just wondering, you know, did the reaction of the Ireland fans that day, did it play into his reaction? Was he genuinely happy to see the team, you know, that had applauded him get a result? Um, so, you know, with the with the, that result meant that we qualified from our group. It meant that we were going on to play the, the hosts, France, in the next game. Uh, in the, the the second round, but unfortunately, like we only had uh, four days turnaround before we went on to 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 play France, whereas uh, I think they had nearly a week from their final group game. Um, the tournament organisers have said since that they will look into this in future. They will try to organise the the tournament fixtures so that teams have a, if not an equal, uh, certainly. A similar amount of time off um, to recover between games, but you know I think we carried that result certainly into the opening half against France. You know we weren't overawed for the first half. We went one and up. We deserved the lead, um, but you, I think you could see even before the end of the first half that tiredness was was uh, was settling in. That you know you know the the amount of games that had been played in such a short space of time meant that, you know, we might not hold on to that lead at half time. So you know, Phil, how did you feel that we played against France? I've never seen a team gas as bad in all my life. And I I just remember back to the the post match or the, the post match interviews after the Italy game and Jeff Hendrick coming out with a slice of pizza and a bottle of beer and I was I didn't think anything of it at the time, but my God, at sixty minutes we were dead in our feet. I remember just watching some of the players. They could barely run. So we had given it a go, but you could see by half time we weren't going to hang on. Like we had started the game with great intentions. Like we went straight in the front foot, got the penalty. Brady tucked it away, lovely. But you could just see that the heat was killing them as well. I don't actually know was it a particularly hot day, but they just they were knackered after about fifty minutes, and you could see the space opening up. Duffy getting sent off. He'd so much so much uh, ground to cover like it was just it was the end you could see it was the end of the road by half time nearly yeah I think the the conditions in in Lille probably you know contributed to that as well like I said it was it was hot and humid and uh, you know it's it hard to walk around in, in the in the stands and remind play football on on you know on the, on the pitch so Mark you know at the end of the tournament you know we had you know, we've been beaten by the hosts, but we hadn't been played off the park. Um, we've definitely earned a lot of credit uh, from the fans. I think the we had we had wins over higher ranked opposition that hadn't come um, before, and suddenly we had three in the space of less than twelve months. Um, and the the feeling was that the right decision had been made, the right team had been appointed, they had found the right tactics for this group of players. Um, and we were looking good in going into the qualifiers for uh, for 2018. Um, so, what you know? Did you? How did you feel after the Euros and going into the, 
for the next set of qualifiers? Yeah, I felt quite optimistic. I was uh, quite proud of the boys actually after that final whistle in um, in Leon. I mean, uh, they kind of gave it everything, but yeah, um, I do recall it was a very it was a pretty sunny, hot day in Leon uh, in Leon there as well. But again, going back to Martin O'Neill, I mean. I felt optimistic, and I thought in terms of how he kind of integrated certain players into the squad, uh, the emergence of the likes of Seamus Coleman as well, Hulahan played superb, Jeff Hendrick as well had his cameos as well, um, the emergence of Andy Kill, Shane Duffy. So, uh, inadvertently, we were kind of seeing the next set of Republic of Ireland players kind of coming in, in a major tournament, and to me, we were kind of set up quite well for the 2018 World Cup qualification campaign. Yeah. Given the, the summer football, given the continuity, given the cohesion that the team would have had during the summer, it, it kind of boded very well, I thought, and so I, I felt quite optimistic on, on our chances. Yeah, I think I, uh, I was very much uh, on, on the same mind. You know, we the first game after the, the tournament was uh, another friendly against a man where, which probably no one remembers except for the fact that it was Robbie Keane's last game for Ireland and of course Robbie Keane being Robbie Keane he scored um, I remember in that game he probably had about 3 or 4 easy enough chances to score and then of course he scores the most difficult one so with Robbie Keane retired I think the focus became you know where were the goals going to come from uh, you know the, he, a record goal scorer you know, you know. I think often the difference between a win and a, a draw, or a draw and a loss, um, and we didn't seem to be producing many strikers. You know, not just you know the senior side and the underage sides. You know, they, they all seem to be finding goals hard to come by. You know, we had a lot of very very good quality defenders. We had a lot of solid midfielders. We didn't have a lot of creativity, and but you know it was up front was felt where we were we were weakest, where we were definitely lacking. Um, and we began the, the qualifiers with a, a two-all draw uh, away to Serbia. Now, I did look back at the, the the highlights of that game, and honestly, Serbia should have beaten us. Like, there's no rhyme or reason for us getting a result out of that game. You know, they, 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 def- they outplayed us in midfield, they created more chances... They hit the, the, the crossbar. Um, you know, Randolph and goals again proved, proved his worth. Um, and the, the, the equaliser, you know, it was uh, Darren Murphy's first goal for Ireland. And I think um, something, you know, having to rely on Darren Murphy to score um, probably wasn't the position that, you know, a team that was going to play in the World Cup needed to... to to rely on or needed opposition they needed to be in, but it was uh, you know it was the first game against the 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 top seed or sorry the the second seed in the in the group, um, and you know we got a point away from home, so you know I think on balance you know people people felt that it was a you know it was a positive result, you know then we faced uh, Georgia and Moldova. Um, in October and won both games again, beating Georgia. We're continuing our our winning streak uh, against the the Eastern European side, um, and obviously you know Moldova were were the winners of the group. So uh, you know a win there, you know 
put us in a strong position uh, ahead of the, the 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 final qualifier of the year uh, away to Austria. Um, now, the I think one of the, the stats that gets pushed around a lot by Ireland fans and, and, and journalists is that we hadn't beaten a side ranked ahead of us away from home since uh, Scotland in 1987, but which was technically it was before FIFA introduced the rankings. But you know Scotland were were a, a, a fine side at the time, and you know the feeling was that they were they were better than us. But I think a lot of people, you know, they quote that they forget that we had beaten. Lithuania in 1997 when they were ranked I think nine uh, nine places ahead of us, uh, but we went to Austria and won, you know. So we finished the year top of the group, unbeaten. You know we've uh, we've brought or we've gotten the the monkey off our back of that away win against a higher ranked side. Uh, so Phil, I mean, I think the 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 feeling amongst the fan was you know we're going to the World Cup for the first time. Since 2002. Oh, definitely. I think after the Euros, I think there was great excitement going into the World Cup qualifying campaign. I think at that stage with international football, it was still a case of to do well, as you said, you needed a top quality striker. Like you take the likes of Poland or Bosnia or teams like that. They were average enough teams, but they always had someone who put the ball in the back of the net. And I suppose the worry was that Robbie Keane retired. Shane Long wasn't going to do the business for us. But besides that, we were actually pretty well off. Like Hendrik had come through, as you said, Mark. We had some new defenders in the back. We looked solid. So I remember going into that World Cup campaign thinking that we could definitely qualify. Yeah, and I, I think the the first qualifier of the new year, you know, the the result itself, you know, is academic. It was a nil nil draw against Wales, but I think one of the the, the standout incident from the game. Like she, uh, Seamus Coleman's leg break, I don't think you can underestimate the, if you pardon the fun, the impact that had on not just the that result, but I think the player himself, the squad, and even the rest of the campaign. I think it turned on that that one incident. Uh, like Coleman was the the captain, he was one of the standout players in the squad. He'd been linked with moves uh, from Everton. To, to sides across Europe. I know there's this link with Bayern Munich that no one ever took seriously, but I think even that he was being mentioned with uh, a side of that kind of caliber kind of showed his worth. And, you know, the game finished, uh, the game finished nil-nil, but, like, it was that, that incident that turned, I think, the, that was kind of, I think it was kind of the beginning of Definitely, when the results started to turn against O'Neill, um, like Mark, did, like how did you feel? Like at the time, it was bad, and we all knew it was bad, and everyone felt for the the player and the team. But like, do you do you what did you think that the kind of the long term results of that was? It definitely had an impact. Um, like Coleman's attacking down the flank was was one of our key strengths uh, going in into the, the previous games. I remember the Moldova game. I thought he was pr- pretty much superb on that day. Um, so, like, the injury the, the injury was a total gut-wrench to everyone in the, in the ground. It was, on, it was at that game. It was just horrific, really. Um, again, we were still... The destiny of this group was still in our hands, but 
Again, it, it was a massive blow. Again, I was hopeful that we would kind of have the squad kind of depth there to maybe kind of shore it up a little bit and maybe one or two of the players like the Hendricks could maybe kind of step up a little bit more from an attacking final tour perspective uh, given the fixtures that we had kind of going in uh, down the stretch. Yeah, but as the year went on, you know, we only won, uh, you know, we had a, we lost our next two games, which is a, a friendlies against Iceland and Mexico. Mexico always beat us, so I think no one really, you know, felt uh, too badly about that. And we had seen, you know, debuts for the likes of, uh, you know, Darrell Horgan, Andy Boyle, John Egan, Connor Horan. So it felt like the, you know, the management were definitely trying to introduce new blood into the squad, and they had identified, especially with uh, with Horahan and Horgan's introduction, it was they, had, they identified that, you know, creativity that had been missing in the middle of the park, and we're, we're doing something to, to address that. Um, and, you know, when the, the qualifiers, excuse me, when the qualifiers started again in September, we got our first uh, draw against Georgia, you know, it was, and it, I think that it, you know, because we'd beaten them um, in every fixture up to up to that point, the draw felt like a loss. You know, we had gone, we had gone ahead, and uh, they had come, they had come back to to equalise and played the better football on the day, and in in all honesty, could have gotten the win, um, and it felt like we had escaped with a point rather than earned it. And then straight away after that, we play Serbia at home um, and lose. So now we haven't had a win in the group for almost a year. Okay, our final two games are Moldova, who you know we should beat, and to be honest, if we don't beat them, then we don't deserve to play in in the World Cup. And Wales away from home, and Phil going into the last two games in the group. I mean. Did you think that we could qualify? I think because it was Wales away, I think the Moldova game was going to take care of itself. But I think because it was Wales and because what happened with Coleman, I think that kind of, that drove the team on, I think. They were galvanised with what happened to him. Because I remember at the time, it was such a bad tackle and it was such a bad injury and all this nonsense came out about not that type of player. But the tackle was made and it, it was as bad as it looked. And there was plenty of needles. So I think that kind of galvanised the team and that kind of spurned them. I think that, that gave us a chance and I think fans got behind that. It was almost like nearly a revenge mission. Um, so it was still there for us, I think. I think we suffered that year because a lot of players that had been performing started to pick up injuries for their clubs and we just didn't get the same level of performance off everybody. I think Ward was one of them. I think... Um, Walters as well. So Hendrick wasn't as good as the Euros, um, so I think that played into it a bit. But I, I thought going into the Wales game, I thought we could, we could do it. Yeah, I think there was still money in the bank there from the Euros and the qualifying to that the belief was still there. Yeah, I think uh, one thing about the the game was that they were playing in Cardiff City Stadium. They weren't. You know, Wales had decided to not to use the Millennium Stadium, thinking they could sell out. The smaller stadium and provide a much more intimidating atmosphere. And I remember watching it on telly, thinking like the the Welsh fans are making all the noise. But Wales 
didn't really turn up on the nice. Um, I I don't really remember any saves needing to be made, and you know when Ireland scored, it it actually kind of got ruined for me because my phone buzzed with a, an update from the app that James McLean had scored, and then I looked up, and then James McLean scores. Oh. So you know the, the, that 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 uh, that anticipation had been taken away from me, but. You know, Mark, like, as the game went on, Wales just weren't getting into our, into our, the last third of the pitch. They didn't look like they were creating any chances. I know they were missing Gareth Bale, who's like, is their talisman and, and their best players and one of the best players in the world. But I felt like we deserved the win. Well, completely, Joe. Uh, I do recall I actually switched to Sky Sports commentary straight after the McCain goal. Just to see what the reaction was on Sky, and there was this suggestion really that oh Wales they reached the semi-finals of the Euros, they'll pick it up here, they'll create the chances, but it never happened. I mean, they were quite flat on the night, and you could see uh, Chris Coleman on the sideline was increasingly getting more frantic as the the game wore on. We were very comfortable come the end. I think arguably we could have scored a second goal at the end to kind of really put a gloss on the scoreline. Um, so I mean, I, I thought it was a magnificent result there in Cardiff anyway, and. Again, really did kind of bode well for the playoffs again, you know, another playoff adventure, you know, rolled the dice. Yeah. And, you know, not only that, you know, the, you know Martin O'Neill became, was the, the first Ireland manager to beat two teams ranked ahead of uh, Ireland away from home in the same set of qualifiers. You know, and, you know, it was, uh, we had, uh, I think historically, there's only 11 times where Ireland have uh, victories of a higher ranked opposition. And five of them are under the same manager, um, which we, I think we might uh, we might mention later on. So then we come to the playoffs, and we come to the playoffs, and we draw Denmark. Now, you know, we were again we were we were uh, we were in the unseeded pot. You know, we're facing going to be faced one of Switzerland, Italy, Croatia, or Denmark. So if you could pick one of them, you probably would have picked Denmark. You know, the first game in uh, in Copenhagen was very cagey affair. Neither side looked like they like not that they were looking to create they could create something, but like that they didn't want to make a mistake. Um, and at the end of this, you know, uh, another draw against Denmark, uh, uh, another nil nil. No one really looked. Uh, you know, it was hard to pick a a winner from the two sides. <clears throat> so, Phil, like, what were your thoughts after the first game, and did you think that we could beat Denmark in the second in the the second leg? Well, I remember when the draw was made, the talk was Denmark would be the best opposition, and um, I think everybody kind of agreed at the time. They really only had a couple of players, Eriksson being one of them. As far as the first leg, I can't tell you one thing that happened in the first leg. It was such an unforgettable game. Uh, like, I can't remember. Any of it really, like nothing really stood out. But I remember the overall feeling was all we have to do is beat Denmark at home and we can definitely beat them. So I think going into the game, again, because we had so many big results, it's it's strange because if you look at O'Neill's overall record or win percentage, it was so low compared to some of the other managers. But he had so many standout results that going into games like this, we always thought we could do it. So I think going into the game at the Aviva, I remember travelling up that day from Mayo. There was a gang of us going up, and the talk on the way up was, we're definitely going to do this, like 100%. 
yeah, I think the feeling on, among the fans was that we we have a chance and we have a good chance. And you know, in the previous playoffs, you know, we were facing a team very similar to Denmark and Bosnia, and had gotten an away draw. And the feeling was that we're going to get a home win. Now we went one up very early in that game. You know, it was uh, uh, Shane Duffy scored uh, a header, and the feeling was, okay, here we go. This is how it begins. We're going to we're going to the World Cup. Uh, I think James McLean had a great chance that was saved, and then Eriksson equalised. Or sorry, uh, Christensen equalised, and then Eriksson scored to put Denmark two one up going in at, at half time but it, like the tie definitely wasn't beyond us at that point until the changes that were made at half time were made oh and, yeah <laughs> I mean when I can understand making changes at half time something needs to something might not be working a tactic you know might not have worked out a player gets injured but to Bring off, you know, two central midfielders when you're facing one of the most creative uh, midfielders in 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 the Premier League, in Eriksson, and giving him basically the the freedom of the pitch. I don't think anyone will ever be able to explain why that happened, why the manager made that decision, and I don't think he ever will either. But that really was the beginning of the end of Martin O'Neill's reign. I mean, Mark, I mean, yeah. Adrian, we didn't believe it, that, it, that we thought that the announcer had actually made a mistake. I mean, watching it at home, did you think that, you know, because you understand why the, ch- the changes were made? Not particularly, Joe. But I know going during the lead-up, there had been kind of general criticism of the team in terms of how their... They were very much in a defensive shell. We compared that to the summer tournament of the Euros, where it was very much on the front foot, looking to express themselves, <laughs> get on the ball. This was this Ireland campaign from that Welsh nil-all draw in uh, the Aviva became very kind of defensive orientated, making ourselves very hard to beat. Was it almost like a Trapattoni kind of formation part two? And I mean. Was there a little bit behind the scenes here with Martin O'Neill and maybe Roy Keane to a certain extent that? We're going to just throw hell for letter here, you know, go all out. But, I mean, it was the wrong move. But maybe there was maybe thinking in terms of the criticism that maybe the media were levelling at them at that point. Maybe. But we did go for broke far too uh, far too early. I mean, we should have just kept tight for another 15, 20 minutes at least. Yeah. Kept it, kept it solid. But, yeah, I, I, I think maybe there was some kind of things there in the background, maybe media-wise, that may have kind of affected maybe the decision. It shouldn't have. But I'm just merely speculating here because that was a complete bizarre decision, as you said, Joe. Yeah. yeah. In the stadium, we felt that, you know, okay, we're 2-1 down, but we are at home. If we get an early goal in the second half, it's 2-all, and, you know, we can go on to, to get a result here. But, Phil, that didn't happen. No, it was it was such a... I was at that game as well. It was such a strange decision to take off the two. I think it was Arthur and Miter. Yeah. Because... It was only 2-1, and it was only half-time. Like, we had conceded the two goals, but there was still a half of football to play. And I think the the most damning thing about it was, like, 
managers make mistakes all the time. It's fine. McCarthy did it there a couple of games ago. He tried three at the back. He changed it, whatever. It's fine making a mistake, but you have to be able to see the mistake you've made and change again. And I, I think the changes that he made, he, he couldn't come back from them. So when the third goal did go in, that was like there was nothing else he could do. That was it. We were we were open and and he couldn't shore it up. And I think that's that was the most damning thing about it that he hadn't kind of been thinking those steps ahead. And I think that's where he showed his limitations big time. I think I thought I thought at the end of the, well even after the end of the game, a couple of weeks after he he should have walked because I think he he brought the team as far as he could at that stage. It was nearly unforgivable. To go one up at home to a team that weren't really that much better than you. They had maybe one or two better players than you. And a world-class player in Ericsson. But to concede five on the bounce in a playoff is just, you know, it's it's, incred- it's still incredible to this day. Yeah. And a lot of it was kind of self-inflicted. The, you know, the, the players that were brought off, Mailer and Arthur, you know, they're two defensive centre midfielders. And he brought on Houlihan and McGeady, you know, with... 45 minutes to go, I mean, leaving, you know, maybe Hendrick to do the work of four players. Yeah, and uh, it was only 2-1. Yeah. It wasn't 3-1. 2-1, yeah. Um, and it, it, like, I, I can understand maybe bringing on one of those those players if you're looking to create something early, but to bring on both of them and to, to, to waste, effectively, a substitution, you know, because they're, they're, they're kind of they're very two very similar players, so if if they don't work out, then you know you you you're limiting your your choices to 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 rectify the mistake. And you know, well, Denmark. I think you know historically we tend to draw against Denmark. There's very little between us, and in that game it was the two substitutions were the difference between the two sides. Um, and so, like, we, you know, we came to the end of another qualifying campaign. We weren't going to the World Cup again. There was a lot of unrest against the management, against the tactics, against the players. It kind of, it felt very much like the end of Trapattoni's reign. But they were awarded uh, another, an extension to their contract, which meant they were staying on for another, with, uh, they were staying on. For the next uh, the next set of qualify or the next set of uh, competitive games, which was the inaugural UEFA Nations League, where we were drawn again against Wales and Denmark, meaning that our next set of, of competitive games would be against the same two teams that we played in our last set of competitive games. You know, we got to sit at home and watch, you know, the World Cup in Russia. Um, you know, the 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 year started with. You know, two friendly losses to to Turkey and France, and uh, a victory over the United States. You know, the games probably not too memorable. I mean, the I think it was mainly the uh, the personnel was probably what was what were the highlights more than the results. We saw Matt Darty make his debut. We saw Scott Hogan make his debut, and we saw Declan Rice make his debut against Turkey. Um, you know, against France, we saw Graham Burke, uh, we saw Sean Williams, um, and against the USA, we saw Graham Burke become the, the first Irish player, or the first League of Ireland player to score for Ireland since, I think, 1978, um, which 
kind of gave a put a gloss on that the the, the results against the USA. They were one up for a very very long time in that game um, before our, before uh, the equalizer and before Alan Judge's winner. And I think again the 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 fact that it was Judge that scored who had come back from a pretty horrific uh, leg break. You know, it kind of made maybe added a bit of added a bit something to the to the to the, the goal itself. But facing into the, the the Nations League in the second half of the year, I don't remember expectations being high at all. Um and people really were worried about it. So Mark, you know, if you, if we think about the first game, you know, away to Wales you know they had a the new manager in charge, uh, Ryan Giggs. Um, uh, uh, you know, a very very young squad and an experienced squad, but still, it just you know, and we get we get played off the park. Yeah, it was a pretty tough evening by all accounts, wasn't it, Joe and Phil? I mean. When you consider that Ryan Giggs' first game in charge, you know he wasn't afraid to give you its chance. Um, that Chelsea midfielder is it Aiton uh, Ambadu? Yeah. yeah, I thought he was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, you know, um, again, and the, the likely guys again, Gareth Bale, really got plenty of space in that between that midfield and defence to really kind of hammer it home. And yeah, the Welsh crowd, they were certainly loving the revenge mission that night anyway. I mean, it was four. It could easily have been eight or nine. We had no structure that, you know, there was no real communication, I thought, between players at times. It was just a very disjointed, dismantled display, really, and only for that late goal at the end to put some gloss on it. But I think, unfortunately, Chip had sailed here for Martin. I think the, the media hounds were already uh, circling. I actually missed... Uh, Sean Williams' goal. I was watching it at home and at 4 0 down, I suddenly realised that the, the the sink was full of dishes. So I'm gonna go clean that up. You know, I, I I'd rather I'd rather go and you know clean up after the dinner than watch the end of that game. And I missed Sean Williams' goal because I was uh, cleaning my knives and forks. But well, I think. That game really should have been the end for the management team, but still, we persisted. Yeah, I think it's it's just a it's a so they should have gone after the Denmark game, but it it just shows the limited thinking of Delaney that basically the problem that the FAI have had for years they're always thinking about the next tournament, and because we had only just missed out by a game, I know we got back well, but Delaney probably saw that as well, look, we probably might have a chance of qualifying again, so we're as well stick with them and it was just lazy on the FAI's behalf, and the contrast in between Wales and Ireland in that game, like here's, as Mark said, here's Ryan Giggs starting all these young players, like Ampadu bossed that midfield that night we were looking at this 17 year old, just running rings around us, and then we just looked like so lethargic and we still were basically hung over from the Danish game and uh, we never recovered from the Danish game. I think that that was it, and, and that just carried through the whole campaign for the the Nations League. Well, yeah. If you if you look at the results after that Denmark game, we had, you know, we had um, we had ten games, uh, including uh, you know a friendly against uh, Celtic, which was Scott Brown's testimonial. But we lost 
four of them and drew another four. And the only win was the, the game against uh, U.S. So, yeah, looking back, historically, Irish managers have stayed on for one campaign too long. And this was certainly the case here. So, did, we only, did we only score four goals that that year as well? Was there some sort of mad stat like that? Uh, yeah, there was one against the US, one against Poland, and oh, sorry, two against the US and one against Poland and one against Wales. Yeah, and that was it. That was it for the yeah. for ten games. Yeah. Um, so you know the we drew again. We played Denmark twice and drew with them twice. And because when we play Denmark, we draw against them, except for that, except for that one game. And then we had, in between that, we had the the return game against Wales, where it felt like, okay, this is kind of the last chance. You know, we're playing this this young team, but we we didn't know what to expect in Cardiff. We can get maybe we can get something against them, and you know we gave away a silly free kick. And I remember, like, I was I was at the game and I was kind of in line with Harry Wilson as he lined up to take the, the free kick. And he'd been scoring very spectacular frees uh, on loan at, uh, at Derby at the time. And I remember thinking, there's a gap on the left of the wall. And if he hits it, it's a goal. And he hit it. And it was a goal. And that was... You know, again, we keep saying it, but that should have been the end of Martin O'Neill's reign. It ended up coming a month later after successive nil-nil draws against the North in a game that I was at, but I genuinely remember absolutely nothing about, um, and away to to uh, Denmark in Aarhus. That's I think will only ever be remembered as Martin O'Neill's last game and Michael Obafemi's first game. Um, so the the axe fell, uh, I think, fairly soon after that. Um, the, the management of the FAI finally made the decision uh, that Martin O'Neill would have to uh, would be removed as, as manager of the of the FAI, and you know, November 2018. Um, was his, was was when he uh, parted company with the the national side. So, you know, if we compare the two managers, Trapattoni and O'Neill, I think both had very similar starts to their reigns in that they were brought in to rectify the mistakes of the previous the previous manager. Trapattoni was brought in to replace Staunton because he didn't know what he was doing and he was completely unsuited. To the to the role, um, we had a succession of terrible, terrible results, uh, where the team just appeared to be completely lacking direction, um, and he brought that structure. Trapattoni brought that structure in. O'Neill was brought in to replace Trapattoni and to to kind of address, I think, some of the failings that the team had had at the end of his reign. That he didn't understand the Irish mentality. He wasn't getting the best out of the players. The the the, the results. Uh, the tactics had all become very staid and just unwatchable. And he succeeded at the very beginning. And we did get some very good results under him. And I think that's something that we we do need to to, to recognize. Like I said, you know, historically, 
they've only there's only been eleven wins, uh, competitive wins by Irish teams against higher ranked opposition, and he has five of them. Um, there was before he took over, we'd only ever won one away qualifier against higher ranked opposition, and he he's he won two, you know. Um, but I think it was twelve months too long, and at the end he had to go. So Mark, if I could, like, if I could come to you first and just ask you, like, if you could, what was, how would you sum up uh, his reign? Uh, Martin O'Neill, is it? Yeah. Oh, uh, to be honest, the start was pretty underwhelming. I mean, good middle. Then <laughs> unfortunately, as you said yourself, Joe, earlier in this podcast, uh, that Welsh game, the nil-all draw, James Coleman leg break, really was kind of the defining moment of his managerial campaign. It went downhill pretty rapid from there, anyway, and. I think the, you're trying to introduce new blood into the camp so late on. It was a desperation play for Martin uh, to kind of keep on to his job. It was too little, too late. So, um, you know, some good, great memories. I'll, I'll always remember um, the Wes Hoolan goal in, um, in Paris. That great cross that was put in for Robbie Brady. You know, so there was, there was good points, but also at the end was devastatingly brutal. Yeah, and, you know, Phil, again, same question. Um, how would you sum up the rain and, you know, what were your, what were the highs and lows? I think um, it's funny because for a manager that went out the way he did and had such a low win percentage as he did, he did give us some seriously big moments, like, especially for me, like Germany away, Germany at home. Wales away, Austria, the draw with Serbia, two games against Bosnia, like that's like that's nearly more moments than any other manager has given us. Yet we were so bad at the end of it. I think it's it's just a case of he was just he was a manager out of time and he didn't have the self awareness to go after the second qualifier or the, the the Denmark game. And I think that that's really tarnishes his legacy because he did hang on for a year too long, as you said, and he just looked so out of his depth. But we'll always have the Euros and we'll always have the big results. But I suppose at the end of the day, he just he just showed us for he showed his limitations showed up at the end of it because he didn't have it in him to build a new team, and he should have went. But I we'll always have the good moments, I suppose. Uh, more than we had for the previous few years. I know we got to a tournament with Trapatoni, but we didn't have a lot of huge wins under Trapatoni along the way either. So it's kind of... The longer time goes on, the the more fondness I think we'll look back at O'Neill's time as Ireland manager. Yeah. I think... Yeah. If we could, we'd, we'd probably scrub that last 12 months oh, absolutely. from his reign. Um, I think the mistake was not bringing in a new manager at that time and who knows you know you know what what difference that would have made so uh i hope you've enjoyed uh our, our look back at the the five-year reign of martin o'neill um to be honest i looking back at the results uh, during, during the research i i didn't think it, it lasted that long and i i did find it hard to believe that it was five years that he was uh he was in charge um, so on our ne- I'd like to thank Mark from Hawkeye Psychic and I'd like to thank 
Phil from the bottom is Pit of Football, uh, joining me tonight. In our next episode, we're going to look at uh, Mick McCarthy's reign for the last, uh, last over the last year, the results and the performances, and uh, looking forward to the to the new year, to the new decade. Um, can we qualify for Euro 2020, where we're one of the hosts? And what difference will uh, Stephen Kenny bring when he takes over as manager in uh, September? Uh, we'll talk to you soon.